Welcome to another episode of the Worklife Podcast. To find out more about the Worklife Hub and to listen to other episodes, please go to www.worklifehub.com. Welcome to another episode of the Worklife Hub Podcast. I am your host, Agnes Uheretsky. If this is the first time that you are tuning in, let me just say a few words about this podcast. We speak to authors, researchers, business thought leaders, for them to share their knowledge and insight on work-life balance, leadership, culture change and organizational development. In our work at the Worklife Hub, we help companies reform their workplace to create a culture that embraces diversity and work-life balance. We are passionate about building vibrant and engaging workplaces that are great for employees and customers. If you would like to get in touch with us, you can do this via Twitter at WorkLifeHub, on our LinkedIn page or on our website. We're always happy to hear how you like the podcast or any other ideas that you would like to share with us. And now, on with the show. Welcome to the listeners of the Work Life Podcast. This is your host, Agnes. And today I'm very happy and, and excited to be joined by Victor Yoko from Philadelphia. Hi, Victor. Hi, Agnes. How are you today? Great. So Victor is an author, a researcher and a strategist at a digital design firm based in Philadelphia. He's also the author of over 20 articles um, on research and psychology as it applies to digital design and user experience. And this is going to be a bit of a different um, uh, podcast than our listeners are used to because uh, Victor is going to take us through his personal journey and experience and all of the lessons that can be learned from that for listeners, for employers, employees, colleagues. So, Victor, I'm so happy that you contacted us and, and wanted to share your story. Yeah, I will. It's something that I feel like now that I've had a few years of sobriety under my belt, that it's something I've wanted to share. Um, I started sharing it by writing a few articles uh, when I hit a year last April, and I'm looking at it as my mission to try to do what I can to raise awareness that alcohol and drug use is something that impacts employers and their employees and that if we truly want to create inclusive, healthy workspaces, we need to account for policies um, that can make our workplaces more supportive towards people with addictions. Excellent. So... Um, uh, take us a little bit uh, through your journey. You you wrote some very interesting articles that we're going to put into the show notes where you explain uh, a little bit how you woke up to the idea you just wanted to really improve your life. And I guess that really kind of pulled the curtain for you on this culture that um, almost celebrates alcohol use and abuse um, in all kinds of work settings. Yeah, so I'd love to share that story, and it, it's a long story, so I'll, I'll try to hit just the, the high or the low notes, I guess. But really, now that I've been sober, I, I realize that I've had a problem with alcohol pretty much since the day I met it, which, like many of us, was as a teenager. And my problem is, is fairly straightforward. I don't stop drinking once I start. And over the years, the way that really manifested itself was just in me 
getting sick and sometimes feeling hungover for a day. But I wouldn't say that I drank enough to where it impacted my life. Um, you know, I didn't consider myself an alcoholic. I didn't consider myself to be even a problem drinker. Sometimes, yes, it was very embarrassing to feel like I'm in my mid-20s and I'm missing a day of work because I uh, overdid it last night. I don't feel like an adult when I do things like that. But it never really dawned on me that some of these things were impacting my life in a way that was really negative. Um, but then about three years ago, I started working in, in the fields related to design and technology. And like you mentioned, especially in design and technology, it seems there's a culture of, of alcohol use. And I won't say it's in a culture of alcohol abuse and because I think that's that becomes the individual's choice. But when you're in a culture where there are the expectation is there's a keg at work the expectation is that meetings with clients or social networking events will be held at bars um and that a lot of people are just really into drinking and the drinking culture that if you have an issue with alcohol it's gonna really exacerbate it if the if the cultural norm in your office is everybody can have a beer at their desk, then there's nobody there saying, hey, you might not want to be drinking at mm. two or three in the afternoon um, because everybody's doing it or because enough people are doing it that it doesn't stick out. So for me, though, it really, it continued to feed this issue that I have. And instead of occasionally getting drunk and finding myself feeling ill the next day, I was growing a really strong tolerance and I was drinking and drinking and drinking and I would drink until I blacked out and terrible things would happen uh, I, and would wake up places that I didn't expect to be. I would say things to people that I should never say. I would do things that I would have to apologize for later. Mm -hmm. um, and, and this was going on for at least the period of a year, three or four times, maybe more a week. and. I started to take the traditional routes that I think a lot of people, when they want to improve their life, take. And, and one of those is is trying to find um, counseling. And I, I really looked at that as I started going to counseling because I wanted someone else to fix my problems. And what ended up happening, though, was I, was, I actually saw two different counselors two days in a row. And both of them said virtually the same thing to me, which was, I cannot work with you. I won't work with you. You won't get any better at life unless you stop drinking. Like it was very clear to them that alcohol was an issue with my life. And to hear that from two professionals two days in a row um, that I respected, it really it dawned on me I had to take this thing and I had to deal with it. And it was very scary. Um, and so I write about that in, in an article for Model View Culture how, um, which is a tech-based um, online magazine. But I, I talk about how from there I, I sought counseling and I really just, once I hit a year of sobriety, I realized that I wasn't alone in this. Not only was I not alone in the struggle, but I wasn't alone being in the setting where alcohol abuse is is very much the norm and it was up to somebody to start talking about this to try to raise awareness and that I finally felt comfortable with my sobriety because as a, as a sober person, you, you experience a lot of um, self-doubt about whether or not this is going to stick around because you know 
one of the most frequent stories you hear about sober people is they relapse. And mm-hmm. so I didn't want to, I didn't want to put my sobriety out there and start critiquing the industry I work for just to go into a relapse and have it be something where I should have never spoke up. But I realized it's really up to somebody to start talking about this. And so I published an article talking about my journey a little bit and then looking even more at what can we do as an industry to start to address this. Um, And then I published another article on Vox.com where I, I really looked at my transition during my first year of sobriety. So it wasn't like I put down drinking and it was just very easy. It was like I stopped drinking and I still had to deal with drinking every day. And not only did I have to deal with it every day, in my personal life, I had to deal with it every day at work because it didn't go away. I wasn't going to quit my job. I wasn't going to ask my employer to stop uh, having parties at bars or stop hosting clients um, in places that serve alcohol or get rid of the office keg. It wasn't something that I felt comfortable doing. Um, and, and so I had to deal with this these stages of transitioning that I talk about in the Vox article where mm-hmm. I really – at first felt some resentment, but eventually grew into my own skin. And part of that was really um, experiencing a lot of success around writing. And my writing, all the energy I had spent focusing on being uh, a drunk person, hmm. I refocused into writing and I found a lot of success writing about what I'm, what my background is, which is the application of psychology to things like design. And and so and I'll I'll finish my answer here because I feel like I've talked for way too long. But um, I didn't. I was never the kind of alcoholic person who was on the risk of losing my job. So nobody at work knew I had an issue. I wasn't coming in and being stupid to them. I was doing things to the other people in my life who knew I probably had an issue. But. Um, what I knew the whole time was my work was nowhere near as high quality as it could have been. I was passing, I was beyond passing at work, but I knew I could do so much better. And really getting sober showed that. I I published instantly a dozen articles and it just kept building on itself and building on itself. And I got a book deal, something that I'd wanted for my whole life, something that I would often drift off into a drunken sleep hoping for, but not realizing hey, you actually have to stay sober long enough to write something in order to get a book deal. Mm. Um, and so all that started to happen, and I think it, you know, direct connection to my sobriety, and that's also what allowed me to feel comfortable speaking up and saying, look, I'm doing some good things in this field, and now I want to talk about some of the serious issues that we should start addressing so that other people who might have issues can do the good things they can do. I think it's a it's a wonderful story, and and, you know, it feels like it's really the right thing to do and a, f- and a, and a really brave thing you do. Um, and, you know, just learning about your journey, I just, um, a couple of weeks ago, I was speaking to someone, my niece actually, who was organizing a hackathon. Mm-hmm. And, and we were just discussing, she was, uh, we were brainstorming a little bit informally, you know, what could, you know, what else could there be as perks at the hackathon to attract even more uh, coders and hackers to join so we were just you know talking about it and I'm I'm of course not coming from the tech world so I would suggest coffee or a masseuse or something and she said no 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 we we have to have a keg we have to have the alcohol so we won't have the coffee we'll have the alcohol and and Red Bull I think um, 
And then I said, yeah, you're, you're going to have aqua. He said, yeah, yeah, from, from like 10 in the morning. And, and I think that um, encouraging drinking in hours that usually are not, um, you know, thought of as kind of drinking hours um, is, is, I find, a very important responsibility of the employers or, or the culture of this sector because somehow it, it all seems to have been agreed upon in our social contract that, you know, you can go after work and you can drink and at this industrial type of work model, the nine to five, you know, you, mm-hmm. could, you could have a drink after five or on the weekend or when you have dinner. And what comes also with this flexibility and more autonomy and this reinvention of the way we organize work seems to have crept in not only that you can have a nap in the day or you can go for a run in the day, but also the the, the, the consumption of alcohol in the day has become much more accepted, I guess. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And I think that it's not so specific to tech and design that it really it's a lot of industries it's people who are involved in sales it becomes something that I think employers who are allowing it um, look at it as almost a fringe benefit you know we have a very cool laid-back culture and so we don't mind it if people are drinking on the job but there then if you're going to focus on that or not and, and allow that then you have the responsibility of creating a safe working environment or a safe event for people who are choosing not to drink. It's not good enough to say, well, if you don't want to drink, don't come because that's the wrong answer. That doesn't, that's not inclusion in any sense of the word. And for people who don't feel comfortable around alcohol, I've realized in my writing and in the communication that I've received from people after publishing my articles that it's not just people with alcohol issues that don't want to drink or that don't want to be around people who are drunk. It's people who grew up in situations where their family members were alcoholics. It's people who have health issues. It's people who feel like they become the butt of the joke when everybody else in the room is drunk. And so it's not just people who you might say, well, Victor, he can't control himself. He has an issue. And if he wants to control himself, he should just stay away from drinking. Well, what about your friends or your potential colleagues who are brilliant people and they don't have alcohol issues in terms of not being able to drink? They have alcohol issues in terms of not wanting to be a part of that type of culture. So if you're going to promote alcohol and have it available, fine. But I think there are some real steps that employers and event um, creators can can take to make an inclusive event that has alcohol but also allows people who are staying sober to feel like they're a part of things. Well, we'll talk about this in a minute, um, and and I'm very grateful that you're going to share with us your ideas on how what what workplaces, employers, and also employees can do. But I just wanted to, before we do that, go back to when you were coming out, basically, and you wrote your articles. Um, and I just would like to hear a little bit from you the response that you got um, in one of the articles. You're actually writing that um, you haven't told your employer and only very very mm-hmm. few colleagues so that you're experiencing kind of minor panic attacks while writing yes. that so so can you just explain what was the response both maybe from your work uh, environment but also from maybe strangers who, who reached out to you 
Sure. Yeah, I'd love to. That's a great question. Well, so my employer was super supportive and I wanted to, I was working at a place called Intuitive Company at the time and I wanted to, they had been very supportive and they knew that I was publishing a lot of work and that I was getting a lot of uh, attention and that, you know, they were benefiting from that attention as well because I was writing stuff that was relevant to the field we work in. And so I sat down with one of our principals after I knew the article was going to go to press in a week. Um, I sat down with him and I said, look, I've had this issue. Um, I've never talked to you about this, um, but I wanted to let you know I've decided to write an article about it and it's going to come out live in a week. And I want to know if you're okay with me affiliating myself with Intuitive Company and I said, I totally understand if you don't want to, because this is a sensitive topic, yeah. because I do criticize what we do and what our industry is um, doing around alcohol. And he wholeheartedly supported me affiliating myself with the company. And he said, this is something that we should be a part of. We should be a part of this change. And what what he said to me, though, that really made me uh, you know, just realize how secretive and um, dark addictions are is he had no idea that I had the issue. Mm -hmm. And for me, I felt like I had a big red, you know, A for alcoholic on my forehead. I, every time I would go into work with a, with a hangover or feeling sluggish because I had spent the night up drinking, um, I assumed everybody around me knew. And, you know, he was just completely floored and and he was floored by the fact that he didn't know because mm -hmm. he's a person he's a caring person and he thought I didn't know you had this struggle I stood next to you in meetings I sat next to you at work and I never knew that you were going through this struggle how could that be so he uh, my work really supported me and then when the article came out it was really it was amazing I, I didn't know what to expect. I think I sort of started to brace myself for criticism mm -hmm. um, because I was going to be criticizing something that people really like, um, alcohol, alcohol at work. And that, you know, maybe I was going to come across as somebody who's a bitter whiner who <laughs> wants to take away everybody else's fun. But I tried to be super clear in how I was writing that that's not what my intention was. Mm -hmm. And really what happened was, um, just people really received it well. Twitter responses were just out of control for a couple of days for me. Um, I was getting emails from all sorts of people telling me that this is something they would have liked to have had handed to them when they first started working in tech 10 years ago. Wow. This describes exactly what they see and live on a daily basis and that this should be something that's mandatory reading for anybody thinking about entering the tech or design world. And, and then I, I just sort of hovered and watched a lot of conversations unfold on Twitter and on social media. Um, I saw people were actually sharing the article around comments related to, Hey, we're planning an event. Are we taking some of this stuff into account? Um, Hey, doesn't this really tell our story and how we need to be a little more considerate of how we talk about alcohol use? And then um, one other thing that was really cool was, I don't know how it happened, but randomly the New York Times has an app where they sort of consolidate uh, different news feeds and what they consider to be the big news of the day. And they picked up the initial article that I wrote for Model View Culture and shared it as a, a designer shares his take on 
the use of alcohol abuse in tech. And um, so I thought that probably enhanced the exposure of the article. And then um, an editor from Vox.com reached out and asked me to write a second piece where I would focus a little more on broad industry, not industry specific, but more broader recommendations for how we can deal with um, abusing alcohol and reducing the focus on alcohol in the workplace. Wonderful. I mean, it's it must have been an awesome feeling that, you know, you got something off your chest on the one hand, but I think, Victor, you're starting a bit of a movement there. Well, I mean, it felt like that, and it felt to me like, how do I capture this and keep it going? And that's why I contacted uh, people like you who have other mediums that I can try to reach out to people. And, um, you know, it isn't my full-time job to promote workplace policies related to alcohol. It's not my job at all, but it's something that I'm taking as a responsibility. Uh, and um, to that point, I I have more articles that I hope to write, and I also I have a presentation um, that I'm giving at a university in April and that I hope to give at, at other venues, really, where the message is, is the same. It's I have these experiences and now I feel like I also have the knowledge of how we can help other people who are in that situation and it's really really simple stuff it's not throw out the keg it's not lock up all the beer it's not take away everybody's fun it's simple things about communication and about workplace policies that we can enact to make people feel more included well I think it it really comes across that you know um you have so so much authenticity because you are so honestly sharing your own journey and 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 that really gives you i think credibility and authority on the subject you know it you may have a totally different um profession let's say mm-hmm. but but i think the the fact that you've gone through this and 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 we see this with a lot of uh, a lot of our guests actually um, on this, on the work life podcast, that they have gone through either, um, they've gone through maybe redundancies or some family problems, or uh-huh. and, and 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 there was some moment in their lives that really changed how they were viewing their work or the relationship between their work and their private lives, and have become some evangelists, you know, in in one right. way, and and it's great, and we we really love. Speaking to people like you, Victor, who 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 bring an additional element to the, the the common quest, and the common quest is we on the one hand want to allow for people to bring their whole selves at work, so they can really be open about how they are and who they are, because if uh-huh. employers want to, you know, if if and and I loved what you just said that basically you were not living up to your full potential. That's exactly right. And and you address this issue and now you're you are you are a gift to any employer, you know, that that has you. And I think that the, the whole mentality needs to change around wanting a quick squeeze out of the employees, but we want longevity in our careers and, and this this um partnership or employee-employer relationship is going to go for a number of years. And Mm -hmm. in that span of time, you know, some women go through IVF 
Um, some people go through phases of mental health issues, medication, for example, you were saying about, you know, <clears throat> all the different reasons why one just doesn't want or cannot drink. And maybe you're going through IVF, you're going through uh, mm-hmm. some, some medication, whatever that doesn't. So, so I think that's what we're, we're really advocating for is this open culture, the acceptance culture, the diversity culture. And I think you bring a very, very important element to that. Well, I appreciate you saying that. And, you know, it's, you're right about all those different reasons. And I really, I strongly agree with what you just said about if you are, if you're a thoughtful employer, you understand you're building a relationship. You don't, you don't want to just provide alcohol so people are willing to work 12 hour days for you for the next year and then they're going to move on and take an alcohol abuse issue with them. Or you don't want them – at the same time, you know, in doing some of my research for the articles that I've written, uh, just alone in the U.S., there's billions of dollars of lost productivity due to sick days taken by people who are abusing alcohol, due to health care issues for people who are abusing alcohol, and due to things like crime that people commit when they are under the influence of alcohol. And USA Today has an article – where they have interviewed police chiefs and they are quoted as saying the number one drug involved in rape cases is alcohol. Mm. You don't need you don't need to add anything else than that. It's and yet we don't look at alcohol in the same way that we do heroin or crack or uh, some type of a date rape drug that we would slip in someone's drink. You don't need that. You just really need the drink itself and then the crimes unfold after that. And now I'm not accusing people of doing things just because they drink, but the, the truth of the matter is people become completely different in personality and in behavior once they have hit a certain amount of alcohol in their system. And if we're providing this in the workplace, people are going to hit that limit if they start drinking at 10 a.m., they're going to hit it by 4 p.m. or by 3 p.m., and then they're doing these things with their colleagues around, um, and that doesn't create an inclusive or wholesome environment for people to be productive in. No, so it's absolutely counterintuitive or counterproductive that you would think, okay, I, I want to attract all those wonderful IT people, and I think IT people like alcohol, so I'm going to provide it to them from 10 a.m., but then you're just cutting cutting their productivity on your own um, by doing that. Yeah. And again, like I'm, I don't want to bash alcohol or providing alcohol, but one, and another thing I think is alcohol doesn't really need an advocate. Like there are so many people out there drinking that enjoy alcohol, that spend a lot of money on alcohol. Nobody needs to like defend alcohol. Alcohol is doing okay by itself. And so it will be around. Nothing that I say is going to all of a sudden cause prohibition to come back, which I think would be a terrible thing anyway. Nothing that I would advocate. So I don't feel sorry for anybody when I talk badly about alcohol. I think that you know the little things I can do is hopefully just make people aware of the fact that there are people that struggle and these people could be your best friend. But then also just thinking about um, the fact that Reducing the amount of alcohol that we drink or that we provide people really makes our situations more inclusive and safer in the long run. Yeah. So what what are some of the, what would be some of the takeaways that employers could, could you know, get from this podcast when they think, okay, so how, how do I go about 
if I'm an employer and I want to make sure that um, nobody gets in an uncomfortable situation mm -hmm. on my events or at my functions, uh, how, how would they go about doing that? Sure. Well, I've got a number of suggestions and these come from the articles that I've written and then also from my personal experience and things that I might want to write about more in the future. But one of the big things is when you're thinking about such as a, an event where you want to do some team building or have a meeting off-site, have it somewhere other than a bar. I see way too often that our socializing and our networking takes place in a bar. And Really, if you're putting your event in a bar, the focus is on alcohol, and that's what you're saying. You're saying we're going somewhere to drink. So you've instantly created an event that creates two sides, the people that are going to drink and the people that are not going to drink. And the people that are not going to drink, they're either not going to attend the event, which is too bad and could end up leading to them feeling disconnected from the organization or even being viewed as not part of the organization by the people who are attending the event, um, or they're going to attend and feel really uncomfortable. Hmm. And there are thousands of other th places, venues that you can hold an event um, where productivity can take place. And also things like um, you know, restaurants where there are more things on the menu than just beer. Um, or some things that we've done where, where I've worked um, that were really successful to me is we've held volunteer days where we've gone to Habitat for Humanity, which is a, an organization, at least here in the U.S., where we build houses for um, people who are in disadvantaged income situations. And so we worked as teams building houses and do, learning teamwork and communicating with each other. We have a softball team and alcohol is available to the softball team. But you know what? That's not the focus. We don't show up to drink. We show up to swing bats and run and talk to each other. Um, we have different types of game nights and activities here where the focus is playing the game and communicating with your colleagues. It's not how much can I drink or can I try all the different craft beers on tap. And so really shifting your focus, it's fine to have alcohol at an event, but making sure that that's not the focus of the event. Um, there's so many other things you can do that can still be fun and appeal to people. And my actual take on it is when you're thinking about an event, and the only thing you can think of is serving alcohol or focusing on alcohol. Is your event really so bad that you feel like everybody needs to be under the influence of alcohol <laughs> to attend it? Um, that's, then, a good, that's, a good, that's a good kind of question to hang above your desk. <laughs> you always <laughs> mean, are we really that, that boring? <laughs> right. Does everybody need to be liquored up in order to hang out with each other? And if the answer is yes, maybe you need to take a closer look at why you're having an event. Yeah. But um, another thing employers really need to do and something that is easy to do is just simple words. Talk about responsibility. If you're going to have an event and there's going to be alcohol involved, talk about the fact that you need a designated driver. Nobody should be driving drunk. And follow that up with talking about, you know what, hey, we're all going to go over to the bar and if you're choosing not to drink, that's cool too. Because something I really struggled with as a person trying to recover from alcohol use and abuse was I didn't have a good reference point for who was sober and what the sober person did at these events. And now I understand that like, when we say, let's go to the bar and everyone cheers, that the person who's not going to be having a drink doesn't necessarily stand up and raise their hand and say, but I won't be drinking. But maybe they should. And maybe, or maybe the leadership can say, 
you know what, we're all heading to the bar. I don't care if you have beer, wine, or seltzer water, but I want everybody there to have a good time and treat each other with respect. And when you leave at the end of the day, make sure that you're sober enough to drive or we're going to find you another way to get home. There, you've just used your words to create an inclusive environment in my mind. And that's coming from experiences I wish I would have had, which is just having a reference point for, is it okay to be sober at this event? Mm. I think that, you know, sarcastic comments and jokes and taunting are are very, very much part of um, the culture, uh, any culture. And I think that it, it, it is really the employer's responsibility to limit those because we see this, um, you know, it, it can be from, you know, men wanting to take parental leave. It can, you know, be if you're just a night owl and you never manage to be on time at work, but that's just how you are. And, and you know, to have these really sarcastic comments, if mm-hmm. that is allowed in the culture, um, then then that's really bad. And employers has to revisit, you know, why is it that this is allowed? And, and already removing... Um, with a very clear, you know, kind of policy or statements, the whole uh, issue of, of, and which then can also turn into bullying, you know, the whole sarcasm and, and right. taunting, that, that in itself already, I think, clears a little bit the air for anybody who wants to speak up about their their own personal issues. True. And I think that, you know, that's where you hear people say they're not comfortable is that they become the victims of the bullying in these settings. And it seems like from what I've read and from what I've heard people communicate to me is that the negative attention often turns to whoever's the minority in the room or the females in the room, and that's not acceptable. And so we need to make sure that if we're going to truly have inclusive events and inclusive workplaces, that we, we don't allow that to happen at all. And one other thing I wanted to say related to, as you mentioned, the sarcasm or the bullying is... I don't think people put a lot of thought into what they're saying, but uh, something that I've encountered uh, a lot is people asking you why you're not drinking and almost feeling as if you need to have an excuse not to drink. So I've created a simple um, sort of a formula for when it's okay to ask somebody why they're not drinking, and the answer is always never. And so whenever you think about asking somebody when they're at the bar with you and they're enjoying a non-alcoholic beverage why they're not drinking, you should not. (laughs) And if you you really have to ask somebody, you can ask me and I'll tell you an answer. But I can tell you that there's no reason for you to know. There's no reason for you to care. It, It really doesn't matter to your life if somebody else is choosing not to drink alcohol. Don't take offense to it. Just enjoy your time with them. Yeah, it's because in a way those colleagues are holding up a mirror, right? They're holding up like, okay, so she or he is not drinking, then why am I? No, I don't know. It's it's it would be interesting to look at it from your psychology background. Yeah, no, I think there's a lot of it. It's sort of that insecurity that people have, or and and it could come from a place of genuine misunderstanding. You know, I drink mm. to have fun. Why aren't you drinking? Don't yeah. you want to have fun? But but honestly, it never matters. There is no way that I can think of that somebody not drinking matters to another person. That's great. Before we go to our last question, can I ask you, Victor, where people can reach out to you, where they can get in touch with you? Oh, sure. Yeah, I, um, I love correspondence. And so first of all, you can follow me on Twitter. Um, and it's just at Victor Yako, which is V-I-C-T-O-R-Y-O-C-C-O. 
Um, and if you tweet to me, I will tweet back to you. But you can also always send me an email, and my email address is just my first and last name together, V-I-C-T-O-R-Y-O-C-C-O at gmail.com. And you can also connect with me on LinkedIn. If you just uh, search for my name, I'll gladly accept any any requests to connect. Um, and, and from there, you know, if you can't get in touch with me through one of those ways, I might have fallen off the face of the earth because I'm, I'm very responsive to all those different platforms of communication. Um, yeah, so I would love to any, – any personal notes, messages, you will get a personal response back from me. Great. So we'll put these also your contact details into the show notes to make it easy Great. for people to reach out to you. So coming now to the last question, and that's always the same one here on the Work-Life Podcast. If I could ask you, Victor, to give one advice to a CEO to address this issue in his or her organization, then what should they do? Well, I would first suggest that they read either some of my articles or some some stories about people who have suffered abuse or suffered with abuse and then gotten sober and so they can understand these people are real and that these journeys are real and then i would say that there really is no magical way to understand what they should do next it's a matter of under of empathy and and really i think that you hit it when you said earlier that if you're creating this relationship with your employees then you need to understand them and you need to understand statistically it doesn't matter how great you think your staff is some of them are going to suffer these issues you need to have policies in place you need to support people who might struggle and you need to create a condition where they are able to feel comfortable reaching out to you and I'll give you a great example from my life, which, as I told you, I, I wasn't straightforward with my employer about my issues until I was going to have articles come out. But just as a matter of the types of policies that we had in place here, we already had things like um, employee assistance plan where I would have was able to reach out and communicate with um, mental health professionals who were under the obligation of confidentiality. And another thing is around support. Uh, I think that as a recovering abuser, you need to have support and the ability to attend support meetings and have other people who are like you share their experiences critical for your success, particularly up front in the early days. And so having a workplace policy where if a, if an employee needs to leave at a certain time every day to attend a support meeting, you should encourage that. You should support that. If it means thinking of a creative work schedule for that person so that they can make up an hour or two later, if it means asking them to come in early, whatever you can do to allow this person to receive the support they need. Because something, Agnes, that I don't expect a CEO of a company to do, I don't expect you to instantly know what it's like to abuse alcohol or drugs if you've never experienced that. Mm. That's not something I don't think that people can just extrapolate their experiences to if they haven't had it in the mm. past. My, my analogy is when I start drinking, it's like I'm riding a bicycle with no brakes down the steepest hill with a road that has heavy traffic 
in both directions at the bottom and I have no helmet on and all I'm doing is screaming at the top of my lungs how happy I am knowing that I'm heading for that traffic. But that paints the picture I think that some people can understand which is I'm on a bike out of control and there's no way I'm going to be able to stop before I hit something horrible. Um, That's how many people who abuse alcohol or drugs feel once they've started using that drug. So I don't expect that that feeling to just come naturally to people who who don't haven't suffered from that, but they need to understand that it's real, that it's not just a situation where you say, "Hey, snap out of it. Stop having a problem every time you drink." Mm-hmm. And 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 the thing that this person needs is support and supportive policies that will allow them to be around people that can support them and understand that it might be something that requires intense daily um, recovery type activities, especially in the beginning. Yes, and if you value your employees and you know you want to stick with them through thick and thin, then that's not such a big investment for an employer to be offering. That's that's what really I believe. So and just to finish off, you know, if anybody listening to this also is interested in actually setting up such workplace policies that um, that are inclusive and encourage diversity and flexibility and autonomy where, you know, people can take care of themselves maybe during the day or um, have that kind of flexibility where they need to get help, but they will make up for it, actually. Um, then we can also help with that at the Work Life Hub. And, and so I think that our, I, I would encourage our listeners to get in touch with both Victor and ourselves and see how collectively I think we can take responsibility for this issue because I believe, you know, it's it's just as much the responsibility of the bystanders to not be silent, to not look away, but to, you know, open conversations and keep these conversations going in the workplace and and, and to normalize it to to you know to a degree that okay it's 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 okay to to assume it, to talk about it, to to be open about it, and and that's just how we will, I think, lead to a much more inclusive workplace and society, but also one that really helps recovery. Well said, Agnes. <laughs> I, I I agree with you wholeheartedly, and I appreciate your efforts in all this as well. And and thank you for having me come on to share my story and and some of the insight that I feel like I've provided from my experience. Thank you very much, Victor, for coming on the podcast. It has been a really great pleasure. It's very interesting um, to to be able to to learn about your journey and all of your takeaways. And I just wish you all the best of success uh, for your future. Thanks, Agnes. And if I could get in one last plug for a book that I have coming Please. out. Um, so I've written a book, Design for the Mind. It's related to the application of psychological principles to digital design, and I've covered in a very user-friendly way um, how we can use psychology to design better experiences. Um, and my publisher is offering a discount code for 39% off to your listeners, and so I will pass that code on along to you if you would feel comfortable posting that on the podcast for this show um, I would appreciate that and I'll just give you a link to the the book's website as well but um, so that would be a 39% off discount code that's good for forever um, for anybody who's listened to the work life hub podcast absolutely so 
in the show notes we will put your contact details the links to the articles and as well to your the link to the book and the special discount code for the listeners <music>